We're talking about the power of general persuasion. When God is the judge, persuasion needs to apply to the heart, not just to the mind. Um, it says in the Bible, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged, two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. When we think of persuading somebody, on a political frame, we can play, we can persuade somebody to change their vote, and that's, that's okay. But with respect to God, if we want to create changes that God would recognize, we can't just aim for people's mind. We have to aim for people's heart because God judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. What that means is that God doesn't judge. When God judges, he doesn't judge people's actions alone. He judges the thoughts and attitudes that lead to the action. Now, man, we only look by appearance, but God looks at the heart. We can't judge somebody's heart. We can't judge somebody's thoughts, but God can. Um, Jesus told a story to illustrate this point. He said, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Uh, compared to today's money, talent's a lot of money. So five talents, probably about $5 million. And one talent's probably about a half a million. So he gives this money to these three servants and has them do business with it. And they, they did different things with the money. Um, the man says, then the man who had received the one talent came, master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. So these different men did different things with the money. Uh, they multiplied it in different ways. The one who had been given one talent, it indicates that he had a thought, he had an attitude, and he had an action. When we think of thoughts and attitudes and action, thoughts are our beliefs about God. And attitudes are, re are our responses to God's will based on our thoughts about him. And our actions, our behaviors based on our thoughts and attitude. With that in mind, see if you can identify what is the action that the servant did? What are the thought? What is the attitude that led to the action? And what is the thought that led to the attitude that led to the action? Um, what we see, the action, he hid his talent in the ground. Um, what was the attitude? He said, I was afraid. I was afraid. That's why I hid my talent in the ground. And what are the thoughts? I knew that you were a hard man harvesting where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. 
Now, it's interesting. We think of God judging, we think of him judging actions, but what did the master who represents God in the story, what did he judge? Let's see what he says. The master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Did the master focus on the fact that he hid his talent in the ground? Not really. Did he focus on the fact that he was afraid? Not really. What did he focus on? He focused on his thoughts, his beliefs. Um, you are a hard man, reaping where you don't sow and harvesting where you have not scattered seed. God focuses on thoughts and attitudes, not on action. For this reason, when we think about persuasion and Gentle persuasion. Gentle persuasion is the only kind of persuasion that can change the place where change needs to occur in the heart. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, in order to protect ourselves, we are careful to guard against immoral, bad thoughts and attitudes. Um, while screening for spiritual viruses, though, we frequently ignore one that Jesus called attention to that was particularly virulent and destructive. Here's what Jesus said about things that get in the way of deep spirituality. Jesus began to speak first to his disciples saying, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. When you think of the Pharisees, they were religious professionals and they were the individuals that Jesus' influence was never really able to dent them. It, they never really were able to be. There was one Pharisee that might have believed in him, but, but on the whole, they were very resistant to Jesus' influence. And when Jesus talks about what it was that got in the way of his ability to influence them, he pointed out that it was their hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is about thinking something, but pushing it down and indicating that there is something different here on the surface than what's here underneath. Um, hypocrisy is targeted in the Old Testament um, and the New. The Lord said, because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. What he's describing is that at this time in Israel's history, people like they said things because they knew what God wanted to hear. And so they expressed things to God that, that they thought were the things that, again, that God would welcome. But the thing that God does, he doesn't Notice just what we say and what's on the outside. He sees what's in the heart. And the problem was that these individuals, they said all the right things, but they pushed down, they distanced their heart from him. And that God indicated that was something that he had a problem with. What it seems is that God sees us. He sees the way we think and feel. Now, we might feel that it's better to kind of present to God what we think he wants to see in us, but God sees us. He understands our thoughts and feelings, and what he wants from us is honesty. 
He wants us to trust him enough to bring our thoughts and attitudes to him, even when they're not the kind of thoughts and attitudes we might like to have. God sees them. We can't pretend with him. And what God wants us to do is to trust him enough to be able to be honest with him about what we think and feel. And what he wants in terms of people that we try to influence is that they would get to that same place. Um, God sent his son so that condemnation would be removed and we would find the security to be able to come to God as we are. Look what it says. Um, God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment. That the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. We've talked about this verse, but this is a really significant verse, it seems. What it says, God did not send Jesus into the world to judge or condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And he says, this is the judgment. So when God judges, what does he judge? What does God determine? This is the judgment. Light has come into the world. And what God judges, men loved light more love darkness more than light because their deeds were evil. And what it describes in this verse is, that, is an individual that, that conscious of doing bad things flees from the light. So if this is the light, the thing that Jesus is speaking of in this passage is that the light comes into the world and the light comes into the world not to judge the world, but that the world might be saved. And here's the judgment that with this light, Individuals who are aware of the darkness in them, aware of evil deeds, don't want to come into the light because they're afraid that their deeds will be exposed. Now, with this guy, we've talked about this before, this guy who has, or this girl, woman, this guy who's conscious of having done things wrong, and he doesn't come into the light because he's afraid that his deeds will be exposed. You got that? You got this guy's problem? What is his problem? Is his problem a behavioral problem? Or is it a belief problem? Well, it must be a behavioral problem, right? Because he's done something wrong. Well, it's not really a behavioral problem. It's a belief problem because God said he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, to judge the world. So this guy is afraid of judgment. And is that fear of judgment a behavioral problem or a belief problem? Which is it? It's belief. God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world. He didn't send his son into the world to judge you. That's what it says. And when we understand that, we end up being able to not just say right things to God, but but little by little express to him what we really think and feel. I've heard it said, when how things look is what matters, how things really are never gets dealt with. When how things look is all that matters, how things really are never gets dealt with. God sees not only how we look, but he sees what's underneath the surface. And you know what he wants? He doesn't want us to distance that. He wants us to express it to him. The gospel is God's tool to move 
that allows us to move towards him rather than distance ourselves from him. And that's really what God wants. He doesn't just want it from us. He wants it for the people that we persuade. Would you agree with me? If we're trying to get somebody, influence somebody spiritually, that you can't bully somebody into pushing them into God's presence. You can't bully somebody to be honest. What do you have, what do you do in order to persuade somebody to be honest? You instruct them gently. You sympathize with them. You don't quarrel with them. And that's what we, that's what we see here. Um, how can we turn towards God before we think about influence? How do we, how can we turn towards God rather than away from Him? Um, the Bible gives us some suggestions. I really like this verse. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. It talks about the fact that God does judge us, but then this passage goes on to talk about what we need to be aware of in order not to move away from God, but move towards him. What is it that if we become aware of it, it will allow us not to withdraw from God, but to move towards him? Look at what this passage says. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What suggests there, if we're going to end up Approaching the throne of grace with confidence, which means speaking freely with him, it suggests that there's a couple things that we think of. The first thing it indicates is that we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, and this high priest is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Um, when somebody sympathizes with you, we've talked about this before, it's easier to be honest with somebody who sympathizes. When we think about Jesus, we think about God, we don't think about God necessarily as being sympathetic. And yet, that's what this passage describes. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet was without sin. I find it difficult. I find that I, my experience is that a lot of Christians find it difficult to really believe that Jesus sympathizes. You know, we think that he was so perfect and and that he never sinned, and so how could he sympathize if he never sinned? But the thing that Jesus can sympathize with is that he was, as we are, a spirit being housed in a mortal body. And with Jesus said, he had conflicting thoughts and feelings. That's something that we deal with. We, from a physical point of view, our physical self, we have physical desires. We, we want to be warm. We want to be safe. But we also have spiritual desires. We want to, and these desires don't line up very well. They are conflicted. They move in different directions. Jesus experienced that. He knows what it's like to have conflicted desires. We've talked about it. He, the night before he died, he said, take this cup from me. 
I don't want to die. And he didn't want to die, but he also said, thy will be done. And what that reflects is that Jesus didn't need to distance one of those things. I wonder if it appealed to him. Or imagine you or me, and we're going to go back to the Father tomorrow, and it occurs to us, I don't want to die. I think about myself being in that situation. I'm not Jesus. I think about being in a bad situation. That would be something that I probably push down. I can't feel that. I'm supposed to die. But you know what Jesus did? He was he recognized that that's what he felt. This is astonishing to me. He trusted the Father enough to be honest with him. God, let this cup pass from me. I think we have thoughts and feelings that we'd rather not have. We judge them as bad. And when we judge them as bad, we push them down. That's a natural thing to do. And what God says, don't do that. Don't do that. He already sees them. You know what he wants? He wants us to understand that he sympathizes enough to allow us to come to the throne of grace and speak freely with him. And the sympathy of the Son, Jesus understands you. He understands what it's like to be a, a spirit being in a mortal body. And what he would, I think, if when we experience difficulty and what he would like to communicate to you when our feelings get split, I really believe this. I think what he'd say to you, I understand exactly what that's like. I know what it's like to be a spirit being in a mortal body. Now, I was perfect and I never sinned, but I understand you. I understand what it's like to have the split inside. And what he would ask for you is, I would encourage you to learn to approach God. Don't withdraw from him. Move towards him. Moving away from him is hypocrisy, and it's dangerous. Move towards him. Learn to be honest with God. There's the sympathy of the Son, but then there's the sovereignty of the Father. So therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. And in a time of need, would you agree with me? Well, you might have a time of need right now, physical or emotional or spiritual. Would you agree with me? Receiving mercy and finding grace to help would really be nice. Um, it's what he says in order to do that, says approach the throne of grace with confidence, speak freely with him. So you register the sympathy of the son and the sovereignty of the father and you come to the throne of grace and you speak freely. And it says that if you do so, if you move towards the throne of grace, now this is not all at once, but progressively, little by little, you receive mercy and grace as we move towards him. We move away, that's something that's, that's associated with judgment. Moving towards God is associated with mercy and grace. I want you to think about, I've asked you this before, think about somebody that you can be open and honest with. Get a face in your mind and a name. Don't say it, but can you think of someone? Get that person's... Is there someone? What is it about that person that allows you to be honest? I'd imagine a couple of things. They are loving enough that they care for you, right? They sympathize with you. And they're strong enough not to be crushed 
So if you say something to them, they're not going to wear them. Sometimes we can't be honest because people aren't loving or strong enough to be able to handle what we tell them. Why don't you listen to me? God is loving enough and strong enough to handle anything that you would tell him. When we are honest with God, sometimes we might think that God gets frustrated, and God never gets frustrated. He understands you too well, and what he wants us to do is approach the throne of grace and speak freely. Why are we saying this? Because when we think about trying to persuade somebody from a spiritual perspective, you really can't bully somebody into being open and honest. It's just not possible. And that's why we've talked about um, gentle instruction. It says the Lord's servant, and just this is by way of review, must not quarrel. With respect to spirituality, if you really want to have the impact that God wants you to have, you want to influence somebody to move towards God, you cannot quarrel them into doing that. The Lord's prayer must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. The divine responsibility is to grant repentance, a change in belief leading to a change in behavior. That's something that God does. God grants repentance, and the person whom God will participate with in terms of cooperating with him to bring somebody to repentance, this is what we're told this person must gently instruct. So if you want to be partnered with God in bringing someone to a place where they are able to change their beliefs about God so that they can move towards him and, and experience mercy and find grace to help, then our instruction must be gentle. And what that means, don't quarrel. There's do's and don'ts. Don't quarrel and don't be resentful. People don't change quickly. You're going to have to have patience and the thick skin if you're going to be involved in helping somebody to come to change their heart. And do be kind and do be able to teach. Let's stand for closing prayer. And Rupert floats. Father, I guess it's you, you clarify that with respect to judgment from your perspective, you don't judge the way we look. You judge our hearts. And um, so if change is going to happen, it needs to happen at the heart level. You would have us to learn to move towards you secure enough to know that you are loving enough and strong enough to be able to handle anything we bring to you. Nothing it's going to surprise you. You're a great, you're a good shepherd. You understand us too well to be surprised by anything. It's important for us to learn to move towards you. This is hard for us. We grow up thinking that we need to shy away from you because when we think or do bad things, we think that, that you, that you judge us and that's not why you came. Now again, you want to change us, but our change doesn't happen by changing our actions. Our change happens by changing our beliefs. As we learn to come towards you, little by little, it'll change our heart and change our lives. Whether you do that, thank you for your sympathy and sovereignty. In Jesus' name, amen.